Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Well, Heidi Thunberg, welcome to Resiliency. Silas and I are so thrilled to have you today. We're here in Waco. You're up there in Minneapolis. You serve as the REACH Global MK coordinator, focused on MKs in their teens and 20s. And you've been doing this for 20 plus years now, Heidi. So tell the tell our listeners today just a little bit about what you do as MK coordinator for REACH Global. Yeah, well, first, I grew up as an MK. So Part of my credentials are I lived on the field from two to age from age two to age eighteen, um, minus a couple of home assignments in between. In my current role, I, which I've been in you know, since '99, I am the caregiver for especially for our teenagers, but also I do some support for the younger ones. Um, but my my responsibilities include some of the pre-field training. I do the teen program and then kind of uh, help out a little bit with the younger ones as well. And then when they're on the field, I, d- I continue to stay involved with the families, especially with the little ones. They'll do a lot of stuff with the parents, Skype calls, meetings at conference, you know, meeting them at conferences and talking with them, providing resources. I'm really big on gathering resources that would be useful for missionary families. And then um, the goal of those relationships, building those relationships with kids on the field is that when they come back to the States, I do re-entry training and offer support for them during those first years, uh, especially if they're in college or going into their careers, this helping them navigate those transitions. So I do a re-entry program in the summers, but then just kind of offer ongoing support. So I do a lot of traveling, uh, visiting MKs, our organization is in the U.S., so visiting MKs stateside, and then some travel overseas too. Wow. So we're talking about MKs, because that's where your field of experience is, and we have people on the field who have MKs, and we're also, our podcast is about resiliency. So when you put those together, what have you found that resiliency looks like for missionary kids? Well, resilience in general is kind of that ability to bounce back from adversity or change, something to be able to go through things that are really hard and then come out the other side still healthy and strong. Uh, MK experience as a whole, you know, we experience a lot of difficult things and goodbyes and transitions and cultural adjustments and unfair expectations to be perfect Christians. And sometimes depending on the area of the world and the situation, sometimes things are tragic or even traumatic. Um, So resilience is coming through those things without being permanently scarred or there's a term called post-traumatic growth, which is coming out the other side, not just as good as you were before, but actually better. Being able to weather that change in difficulty and come out stronger and wiser and more Christ-like. I'm always reminded when I talk about resiliency of one of my favorite passages in James 1, James 1, 2 to 4, where, it's, where he says, consider it pure joy, my joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance finishes its work. You'll be complete and mature, not lacking in anything. That I think is, you know, when I think of resilience, that's what I think of. That's what we're going for. 
is that complete and mature and not lacking. That's yeah. great. We just finished a debrief yesterday afternoon, my wife and I with a couple, and that was the final thing that, that I shared with them and mm-hmm. just said, you guys are coming out so much more mature and complete, looking like Jesus in all these trials that you've been in in this, this term on the field. Well, uh, Heidi, how do grit and resiliency work together? How does this affect resiliency and how can parents nurture their kids while, while teaching this thing of grit? You know, if you look at the, what I just said about what resiliency is, you know, adver- some amount of adversity is necessary for resilience. It's, it's kind of built into the process. You can't develop the ability to overcome hard things if you never actually experience hard things. So if you don't have any level of adversity, then you only have potential resilience. You don't ever actually have the opportunity to develop those skills. So, you know, that's a piece of that, that, you know, developing that grit, that stick to itness, that ability to weather hard things. But when you talk about how do we nurture our kids in the midst of that, I think it's important to balance that out and recognize that it's not just exposing your kids to hard things. It's also giving them the appropriate protection and support when they're in the midst of that. One example that I like to use is is plants. If you think about like a greenhouse plant that's grown in like perfect conditions indoors, it's it's got you know just the right amount of sunlight, and sometimes they even have grow lights on them. Uh, it's got you know the perfect humidity, the perfect water situation, the perfect you know climate control. Everything is is set to to match its needs and plants can really thrive. And if you see greenhouse plants, they're usually really beautiful. And then you think about a plant outdoors (laughs) and it may not thrive quite so quickly or look quite so nice, quite so quick, quite so fast, but it grows up in, you know, facing harsh sun and wind and rain and things that would, that would potentially beat it down. But because they're, they're things that it can endure, uh, it actually grows up stronger. And by the time it does start to flourish, it flourishes really well. So there's things that a plant and a child are intended to be able to withstand. And they need exposure to those elements in order to be strong enough to weather them. To that extent, you want them to go through hard things. The flip side, though, is there are things that plants are not designed to withstand. You guys are down in Texas, and you have plants that if you brought them up here and stuck them outside at my house right now where it's 30 degrees, they would all die (laughs) because they're not designed to withstand freezing temperatures. And so when kids experience those kinds of things that they're not designed to withstand, they need that protection. They maybe need supports. If it's a, you know, you think about a new plant that you put a little stake in it and tie it to the stake to give it something that helps it not to tip over when there's, when there's too much wind or it's, it's too intense. So for children, that would be things like, you know, abuse and trauma, um, major losses, like, you know, the death of somebody important to them or evacuations, those types of things that to the extent that we're able to, we try to protect our children from experiencing those. We don't want them to go through abuse just so they can become resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, those things can break a child um, in the way that, you know, plant can be, can be broken. And when they do have, you know, if those things do happen, we want to make sure that we give them enough support and first aid, so to speak, mm-hmm. that they can come out the other side and, be able to heal from that and eventually to grow from that as well. But we don't purposely seek those things out. Right. I see your ministry, probably a a lot of walking alongside parents 
it's like we talked to one guy along the way in resilience. He talked about lawnmower parenting, which is, you know, helicopter parenting is hovering over kids and doing everything for them. Lawnmower parenting is removing every possible obstacle that could cause hardships in their life. And, you know, there, there's no ability to develop grit or resiliency. But yeah, I, I, I like the way you described that about plants, Heidi, and we can get that picture in our mind. So what, what are some of the roadblocks that prevent kids from developing resiliency? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, well, there's probably more than a couple, but one of them is having that wrong balance, either too much of the, th- you know, of the things we just talked about, too much of the protect- overprotection, too much, uh, too much support, or too much challenge. Uh, and in either case, if they've had that experience, they're going to need some extra care to be able to, to develop some of the skills and resiliency that they need. If they've had too little challenge and too much protection, uh, they're probably going to need some remedial care. You don't take a greenhouse plant and stick it outside and expect it to just thrive immediately, even if it's designed to eventually move outside. You, Anybody who gardens will know that if you take a plant from a perfect condition, even if it's just an inside, you put it outside, you, you start by just putting it outside for a little while, and then you bring it back in. You put it in kind of a sheltered area, and then you bring it back in. And so you, you give that exposure a little bit with lots of support and lots of protection. And then eventually over time, um, that plant, or in you know the case of a child, that child will be able to develop the skills that they need. You don't just toss them headfirst into, okay, we're going to let you start experiencing all these things now. So for parents who have seen in themselves that they've kind of overprotected their child, <laughs> introduce that gradually <laughs> uh, and continue to offer them support and skill building as they do that. On the flip side, kids that have had too little support, and sometimes you know that's through carelessness, and sometimes that's just they've had too much of the challenge, and you know they have experienced some of those things that they were not designed to withstand. As I said, those those kids may need some serious first aid, but having too much of one or the other without you know without that balance, that can interfere in resilience. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is just individual differences in kids. One thing that I found really interesting was uh, Thomas Boyce's book, The Orchid and the Dandelion, and he talks about um, he talks about children who are orchids. They're the, the kids who are the highly sensitive kid. There's another book called The Highly Sensitive Child, but the ones who things just affect them a lot. Uh, they're they're affected by their environment, both good and bad. Uh, I always think when I when I talk about this of one of my moms talking about her one daughter, she says I have three kids, but. You know, it just seems like one of them, like everything that could go wrong goes wrong to her. Like if we have three hamsters, the one that dies is her hamster. If we have, you know, three ice cream cones, the one where the ice cream cone, the ice cream falls off is hers. I was thinking as I was listening to her, you know, I don't think that's really true, but I do know that this child is very sensitive. And so on those occasions where the hamster that dies is her sister's, it doesn't register with you because her sister just kind of takes it in stride. But when anything happens to her, you notice it because it's so devastating to her. Mm-hmm. And so there are those kids that um, they're just, they're sensitive to anything that's difficult. And those are going to be harder kids to raise and in a resilient way because they just need a lot more protection than the average child does. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the dandelion kids. He calls them the kids that, uh, they just kind of thrive no matter what. And um, they need a lot less attention to be resilient or a lot less protection to be resilient. You can 
can push them out into the world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I would say there's a spectrum and probably most kids are somewhere in between those two extremes. So what are some of the unique challenges as well as opportunities that face MKs? It's kind of a loaded question because I'm an <laughs> MK myself, but what do you see as some of those unique challenges and opportunities? And then Silas will tell you all his unique challenges and opportunities. More the challenges than the opportunities, yeah. <laughs> well, because we're talking about resilience, I'm going to stick with that. I and mean, obviously, MKs have unique challenges and, and strengths, and those are talked about regularly in the in the missionary community as far as you know the third culture kid challenges. But with regard to resilience, I, I read a book uh, a couple of years ago when I was preparing to talk about resilience at a conference, and it was I would recommend it to parents. It was uh, it was not specific to MKs at all, but it was Kenneth Ginsburg's book, Building Resilience in Children. And in the book, he he frames it with seven C's or seven words that begin with C. I can give them to you, but <laughs> I, I won't for this thing. As I was reading it, I realized that MKs have advantages on some of those, um, but they also have some unique disadvantages that are that are very typical for MK experience, but not necessarily typical for everybody else. So for example, one of the thing, one of the C's is competence, the ability to handle problems competently. And he talks about how, you know, that's the foundation for a lot of other things. Like it's the foundation for confidence because you can't be confident genuinely and legitimately <laughs> if you aren't competent, <laughs> you have confidence because you know that you can handle those things. Mm-hmm. When you think about MK experience, you know, there's a challenge to competence because MKs move between countries. And anybody who's moved between countries, any parent especially, will remember that when you move between countries, it's normal during that adjustment time to feel really incompetent. <laughs> you move overseas or, and to, or to a new country and suddenly you're learning to do little kid stuff again. You're learning how to talk. Mm-hmm. You're learning how to use good manners. You're learning how to navigate social rules. Uh, how to find your way around. All those things that you used to just know how to do and you'd known for your whole life, suddenly you you don't know how to do those things anymore and you look like an idiot all the time. <laughs> At an MK, her first year back in the States for college, she, she I went to visit her in college and she said, you know, I'm just so tired of never knowing what people are talking about. Sometimes people will, will say, we'll, we'll start talking about something and I don't know what they're talking about and I just pretend I do. I just nod and smile and pretend and because that works unless they at the end go, so what do you think about that? <laughs> I, admit I haven't known what they were talking about for the last 10 minutes. But that idea of always being in that learning mode and then the things that you are competent at, nothing, nobody cares. Or you don't have a skill that you can carry your competence over. So in that situation, it's really important for parents to, one, provide support during that transition time. That's actually a major role that I have as well. But also to nurture transportable skills in their kids, um, competence they can take along. So like an MK that I know said, you know, I had a really rough transition because, you know, boy, at school, he was at boarding school in Africa. And he said, you know, my status came because I was the best monkey hunter in school. (laughs) That is not a transportable skill. (laughs) Came back to the States. People are, you killed monkeys? (laughs) Terrible. Versus a kid who, you know, plays basketball and he comes and, you know, he can develop friendships on that basketball team or a kid plays guitar and they can bring their guitar and they still have that ability and it's relevant uh, in the new place as well. MKs don't just move once, they often move many times. And so they have that experience on a fairly regular basis at a developmental level 
where their norm is, I regularly start feeling like a complete idiot in my life, like I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So for parents to help them through that is really important. Um, another thing that parents can do in that is to help them to recognize the value of the skills that they develop as TCKs. Yeah. So, you know, they have those good observational skills. They have cultural competence, flexibility, language skills. Mm -hmm. They're not always conscious that those are important and valuable skills because in their world, in MK world, that's normal. Like everybody can do that. And so, you know, they may speak calling to those language. things out in the Pardon? kids. So calling those things out in the kids. Yeah, or pointing them out and, and letting them know, you know, genuinely that those are useful things. You know, they may speak a, a second or a third or fourth language and you say, oh, you know, you speak four languages. And they're like, yeah, but everybody does. Like, so what? Not at all. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Well, I love the C's. What's another C that you that you would want to share about? Uh, another one that really struck me was connection. And it, the, the way that he defined that, Kenneth Ginsburg defined that in the book was unconditional love and a deep connection with at least one adult. And that, you know, the goal of that is to help them internalize the community's values, give them kind of a safe place to, to manage their feelings and learn how things, you know, how, how to grow up into adulthood. And if you think about for, you know, the positive side, MKs are spoiled for choice on that. I mean, Close to, they're close to their parents typically. They have fellow, you know, the fellow missionaries who they're, are their missionary aunties and uncles. Mm -hmm. uh, at least we used to call them that. I don't know how much MKs in many fields now call their missionary aunties and uncles that. But uh, if they go to an MK school, teachers are heavily invested, or even just a TCK school, an international school, teachers are really invested usually in their students in a way that they aren't necessarily in a lot of other places. You know, they have people in churches who care about them and, and love them. So it's really rare in an MK world for MKs not to have close relationships with numerous loving adults. So it really sets them up for success in that area. But of course, the pitfalls, well, one of them is if the goal is to internalize your com community's values, all of those people come from different communities and they all have different values. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like, you know, people, Christian kids in the, you know, in a single country where they have the church values and they have the secular values. This is like, you have the missionary world that has different values than the, than the Christian world in their passport country. And you have the international church, which may have, a, you know, or the, the local church overseas that has different values than the, you know, passport country's church. And school may have different values than home or church mm -hmm. um, in, in really dramatic ways. It's, it's different um, spiritual values, but also different cultural values. And so that actually can be almost more confusing than anything else. And of course, the most significant thing is their community is always moving. And so there's this constant of broken connections. You get close to somebody and they become really significant to you and then they leave. Yeah. And there's major losses that go with that. And it's hard sometimes for parents to, you know, who are supposed to be the, the, the stabilizing force. It's hard sometimes for them to, you know, tolerate some of the painful emotions their kids experience not only because missionary culture tends to be a bit stoic, <laughs> gonna, you know, buck up and deal with it, but also because parents see their kids hurting and they know it's because of choices that they've made yeah. and choices that, you know, they've made because God has called them there. And that's, it's easy to then dismiss the kid's experience because it's hard to emotionally cope with the pain that they're going through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, sometimes uh, with 
the work I've done with MKs, my own life, and it, we kind of have this ability, and you you under, would understand it too, to appear like we're doing fine, um, not expressing fears, opinions, frustration, because we don't want to disappoint our parents or hinder the kingdom. That's kind of the, I don't know if we've internalized it that way when, when we're young, but we just, we sort of just know we can't uh-huh. disappoint. We can't let them down. Mm-hmm. How can parents make these discussions safe for kids so they can learn how to properly process and gain resilience? Yeah. As I kind of alluded to, that's, that's a pretty significant thing for MKs. You know, I think one thing that you kind of start with is for parents to get comfortable with their own feelings. Um, you know, parents didn't have perfect lives growing up necessarily either. And it's really hard for them to be there for their kids in the way that their kids will need if they can't be there for themselves. If they can't accept and express their own feelings in a healthy way, it's really hard for them to allow their children to do that too. So uh, to the extent that parents have emotional um, struggles, I would really encourage seeking help for that because that will equip you to help your kids. A second thing is is teaching kids good feeling skills. I actually don't know where I saw this, if this was in the resilience book or if this was in a several any one of any one of several other books that I've I read on resilience, but you talked about three different pieces to feeling skills. One is uh, feeling identification, being able to know what your feelings are. So I would say, you know, to do that, parents need to teach kids from really early on a lot of feeling words, a a good feeling vocabulary so they have the ability to go beyond I'm sad, glad, mad, (laughs) or angry. (laughs) Uh, Those are the the, kind of the categories. Help little kids label their feelings accurately because they don't necessarily have the words to do that and it's easy for them to misunderstand. Um, The second part of that is... Uh you ever use that paper that has all of the emojis of the faces and the feel, you know, just to help yeah. family yeah. feeling faces. <laughs> yeah. That can actually be really helpful with little kids. Uh, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Little kids. It yeah. can be helpful for adults yeah. too. <laughs> it can, you know, again, remedial care. If you, if you got thrown into, <laughs> into feelings without the experience. Yeah. Going back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, feeling expression not only can you identify your feelings but then you know how to express them in ways that don't hurt people one of the tips that I gave to a parent and I actually don't remember telling them this um, I I know why I told them because of the experiences that I've had with MKs but uh, apparently when they were moving overseas I suggested to them if your kid is throwing a fit at you know going through transition because it's really stressful for small child children and they don't know how to process those emotions um, instead of discipline start out by offering them a hug. Mm. And they've come back to me and said, we have used that so many times and it works. And the, the point is, if you offer a hug and they accept it, they're probably melting down because they just can't cope. Mm. <laughs> Not because they're trying to be naughty. Yeah. And if they don't accept it, they're probably just throwing a fit because they're mad. And they are, you know, and that's where you can step in. I read the book Whole Brain Child a couple of years ago, and I highly recommend that for parents of small children, especially. It really talks about why that is. And that when a child is in, he calls it the upstairs brain, which is the, you know, the conscious part that can control things and the downstairs brain that can't. And he says, when a child is in their downstairs brain, they, they can't self-soothe at that age, you know, when they're little, they, they need help to calm themselves down. And so when you discipline a child who's in that meltdown because they can't help themselves, they need mom and dad to mom or dad or somebody who's who's big to help them to calm themselves down. 
And offering a hug is that comfort that helps to soothe them. Mm. So there's other ways to do that. And if you read the book, you'll find, you know, he has other strategies too. But that's why the hug test works. The book, Heidi, is Whole Brained Child. The Whole Brained Child by Daniel Siegel, I believe. Okay, great. I'm writing it down because I'm a grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. He has one on teenagers too that's a little... Um, harder to read, but it's, it's designed for parents and teenagers to be able to both read. I I think it starts out a little technical compared to the other one. So, but he does have another, he has, he has several books actually on parenting that are based on brain development and children. Right. Um, uh, Feeling evaluation is being able to then step back from your feelings. You've you've felt them, you know what they are, you've expressed them, and then you can step back and you can consider another perspective and make sure that matches with truth. But the reality is that you don't get to that until you've been able to do the other two. Mm-hmm. So helping them to identify their feelings and express their feelings in a healthy way and then evaluate and, and think, you know, process what they've just gone through. Yeah. You know, another thing, when you talk about how do you make things safe for the children, I, I want to throw this in here because this, I think, is one of the key things for missionaries and to understand with raising MKs. Because there's so much loss, which we talked about before, there's kind of this, this constant cycle of, of loss in MK life. Uh, parents really need to, to learn to distinguish between comfort and encouragement and discern what is needed in that moment. Hmm. I always say, you know, encouragement, there's, there's a place for encouragement, right? But when somebody is grieving and is really, is really um, in pain, Starting with comfort is much more effective. Comfort doesn't try to change their opinion or change their feelings. It just comes alongside and says, I know it hurts, but I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really significant for MKs because so often they get, they get encouragement when what they really, really need desperately is comfort. Good word. Great, um, great. A story that I that I tell to illustrate this is about actually a colleague of mine who doesn't tell it in this context. She just talks about it as something that happened at a pre-field training we had. Of this little, these two little boys were playing and they were running up and down the hall and running into some of the, one of the classrooms and and one of them ran into the classroom and and was hiding in there and he was peeking out the door and the crack in the door and. And the other little boy, not realizing he was there, went running by and pushed the door to slam it. And she goes, I could see what was going to happen to those little fingers in the door, in the crack of the door. And I couldn't get there in time to stop it. But she goes, I ran over there as as the door popped back open and his little fingers were squished. And she goes, his mouth was opening to cry. His mouth was opening and the tears were starting to, to well up. And she goes, I just snatched him up. And I said, honey, you just cry and scream as much as you want because that must hurt like crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that is comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't try to make it better instantly. It's just there. And the way that you make it better is by being there. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So good, Heidi. Well, some of the things that, or one of the things that I've noticed is because a lot of times parents and, and MKs have to relate, well, parents relate to their MK kids as adults because mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of forced into growing up in some ways or they don't have other adults to relate to or something. There's a, there's a little bit of an unhealthy expectation. So what would be some tips for parents in building healthy expectations in, in that area of, uh, for their kids to, in some ways, even just to be kids? 
Yeah, I think it's really easy to forget that children have such a different perspective. Again, learning about child development really helps, you know, because you know a little bit more what to expect at different stages. You know, asking questions to to ferret out what they're thinking. When we moved overseas uh, the second time, I was eight. And we moved to a new house and we didn't have a phone because the phone lines weren't put in yet. My parents would go out and, and you know, run errands or whatever and leave my sister and I. And I actually remember this. I don't remember I told my parents. I used to worry if they weren't home when they said they were going to be home because in my little eight-year-old mind, I would think, if my parents never come back, how am I going to take care of my little sister all by myself for the rest of our lives? In my mind, it didn't occur to me that if something happened to my parents, like grownups would come and take care of us. <laughs> we wouldn't have to be stuck in the house and I wouldn't have to take care of my little sister for the rest of our lives. But perspective-wise as a child, I didn't have that. And apparently I must have said something to my parents one time because my mom says that after that, they realized that I was worried about that and they made a point of coming back. Well, they realized that I was worried when they didn't come back. And they made a point of coming back when they said, I'm not sure to this day if they understood that the reason that I was afraid was I thought I'd have to raise my child or by my sister, that I'd have to raise my little sister. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, trying to ferret out what are children thinking, especially when they're in those, those transition times where things are really new and unfamiliar to them, because they're perceiving things differently than you as an adult. So that's one piece. The other is, um, you know, recognizing that you need to talk when they're, or listen when they're willing to talk. Oh, back up a little bit. With little children, play with them because you get a lot of clues as to what they're thinking when you watch them play. Little children process things by playing. And so even play, like moving and see what, see what happens. Or uh, if there's been some kind of an event that you think is, you know, has been difficult for them, try to play that out with them in, in games and give them props that they can, you know, manage those it's, it's kind of play therapy for beginners but it just gives you clues and you hear them you hear and see what they're what's going on in their heads with teenagers one tip is just be willing to listen when they're willing to talk teenagers talk when they feel like talking and you can't make those conversations happen my observation after you know 30 some years of working with teenagers I've been doing that since I was like 25 teenagers uh <laughs> my observation is that those conversations happen at the most inconvenient times. Yeah. <laughs> they usually happen late at night or, you know, you've been together all day and they happen in the car, like when you pull into the driveway or, <laughs> but it's worth it to take those times, even in those inconvenient times to, to listen. It's almost like teenagers subconsciously are going, do you love me enough to listen when it's not convenient? Mm. And they need to know that you do. Another piece of that is re- is realizing that kids react differently. So a lot of times I think we we dismiss the feelings of children the way we wouldn't with the feelings of adults, because the things that that hurt kids or bother kids or make kids upset, the things that grieve the hearts of children seem so minor to us. I think a lot of times I listen to parents talk to their little kids about, you know, we're going to be moving and the kid is, but I'm never going to make any friends. <laughs> and they say, you know, well, course you'll make friends you know remember when you moved here and you thought you wouldn't make friends but now you have great friends and it's kind of that encouragement versus comfort again but I've often thought you know to a child that's the equivalent of 
walking up to a woman who's standing by her husband's casket at his funeral and saying, don't worry, God's going to give you another husband who's going to be even better than this. (laughs) Like we would never do that to an adult. It's just horrific. But we do the equivalent of that to small children, especially on a regular basis, because we have perspective as adults that they don't have. And while our perspective is valuable, we need to be really careful not to dismiss the feelings and the fears and the concerns that they have mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you were writing a newspaper column right now, Heidi, and it were, it were in the Global Field Workers Times and it was entitled From My Heart to Yours, what would you want to say right now to parents and kids on the field? But one of the things that I always talk about is comfort versus encouragement, because I think that's one of the critical things. And I, I, I guess the other thing, you, you've been called to a life that has tremendous blessings for your kids and tremendous challenges for your kids. And God didn't forget that you had children when he called you. He called your whole family. And he's in control of that. But recognizing and embracing that paradox of it's both difficult and it's good, um, I think is really, really powerful. We as human beings don't naturally try like to, um, we, we don't naturally like to have things that are contradictory and we don't hold them in our heads together very easily. But that's the reality. And I honestly don't think that's because of the fall, because if you look at the character of God, God's character has a lot of paradoxical elements. It's one of the reasons it's really hard for us to understand him. Mm. He's he's, uh, eternally angry at sin and loving towards sinners. Mm. He's eternally grieved at the, the, the distance in the relationship with people who don't love him, and he's eternally joyful. He's eternally longing and desirous of relationship with us and eternally content within himself. And, you know, there's all these paradoxical elements of God's nature. So I don't think that the reason that, that we see paradox in our experience is just because of the fall. I think it's, it's built into the world. Yeah. But recognizing that idea that, you know, we have really, really good things and the, the price we pay for them uh, is, is things that are really hard. Mm. But if we don't want the hard stuff, we don't get the good stuff either. Yes. It's both and. It's only you, you get it as a package deal. Mm. Um, there's a really good children's book that I would recommend for parents to read with their kids. It's called The Boy Who Didn't Want to Be Sad. It's by Rob Golden, Goldblatt. And it's a wonderful book that, that illustrates that in a fun and kind of humorous way for children. Um, I use it with with teenagers all the time because even though the, the book is a children's picture book, it really, the message is really relevant for all ages. But in ba- embracing paradox, and I guess for missionary parents, one of the things to remember with that is we need to be really careful how we frame that paradox for, for MKs. Uh, because that can lead to really bad theology. Like, well, you know, we're going through these hard things because um, God said we should, because we're serving God. Uh, it can cause MKs to really resent God because of the hard things that they experience. So meaning making is an element of resiliency where you recognize that the, the hard things that you're going through have a purpose. And we have that in the missionary world. We're going through hard things because God called us and allows us to serve him. 
But when we frame it in a way that uh, we're going through these hard things because of God, that can affect in case theology. And so we need to be really careful how we frame it. It's not just that we're, we're going through these things because we, because we are serving God and he called us to do that. It's we're, we're going through this because we're serving God and he is so worth it. He's worth every hardship. He's worth every every difficulty that we endure because there's this, this joy that comes out the other side. Well, Heidi, we're so glad that you were willing to come on the, the podcast with us today. And we're wondering if you would close us out with a prayer of blessing and impartation, especially that last part you just shared, Yes, that he is worth it. But could you just pray a prayer of blessing and impartation on our, our listeners today? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, I just want to praise you for being the magnificent one who is worth it. Uh, And I want to thank you that you have reached down into our world and cared about us enough to be involved in our lives and invested in our lives to invite us to share in your incredible design and plan and story for this world. And I thank you that you don't just use us, but you actually... Uh, engage with us and that you give us all that we need that with you we are complete and equipped for every good work i just pray for our missionaries who are listening to this those who are serving you all over the world and especially i want to pray for their children i just ask that you would that you would give them that perspective that hope that recognition that with hardship comes perseverance and perseverance, when it has its full works, makes them complete, equipped for every good work. And you are the God who does more than we ask or imagine. I just pray that you would do that in the lives of these missionaries and MKs. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency. Resiliency.